let me get my timer started here. When I was rehearsing this, it was about an hour and a half, so we'll see if I can talk quick. I'm just kidding. All right, so good morning, everyone. Some of you may be surprised you see me up here today. Um, I have the honor and privilege, once again, to stand before you and preach God's Word. Um, I've been given this opportunity today uh, because we want to give Pastor Matt a, an opportunity in extra preparation for the Advent series that we're going to be starting next week. Um, also, being the Sunday before the Thanksgiving holiday, what better way to show our appreciation to our pastor than to give him an opportunity to enjoy a worship service with his family. So I've been coming here for a little over two years, and I can't think of a Sunday where I've seen them sitting together as a family. So um, hopefully he enjoys it. All right. Um, that being said, he's also grading me, so I need a lot of like amens and participation from you guys. All right, thanks. All right, so let's get started. Um, has any one of you ever given someone a gift and then felt what you had given them wasn't appreciated? We've all heard um, the kind of the silly stories of like regifting gone wrong, like where you, you give somebody a gift for Christmas or a, a wedding gift, and then you end up getting it back the next Christmas or birthday, um, and it really uh, shows you the lack of appreciation they had for that gift. And that's kind of silly to think about when we think about movies or, or stories like that. Um, but on a more personal level, if you spend, say you spend a good amount of time, you put in a lot of effort um, into preparation for a gift for somebody, say you, you, you ask their family, what do they need? What would be life-changing? This is going to be so sentimental. Um, and you finally have this gift. And then you play it up in your mind that this is going to be just life-changing for them. They are going to be in, just overwhelmed with gratitude and joy for you. So you play up this whole thing in your mind, and then you give them the gift, and it's really a letdown. They, they may say thank you, or they seem somewhat happy with the gift, but they're not as overwhelmed as you thought that they would be, or you think that they should be. Um, and then it happens. You go over to their house a couple weeks later, and the gift, this precious gift that you've given them, that you've spent so much time and effort into pre um, preparation for them, is sitting in the corner collecting dust or it's broken, or missing parts, and then you are angry. You are, um, the, the joy and the gratitude that you expected from them is a complete letdown. Now, some of that is going to be some of your selfish pride. Um, some of that is going to be a lack of gratitude. And you guys can stop looking around, because I'm not talking about anybody specifically. It's not a personal um, illustration here. But on a more personal note, as parents, and kids really are like a built-in sermon illustration, so I always think about my kids when I'm kind of thinking about stuff like this, but as parents, Alex and I uh, do as much for our girls as we possibly can. Um, we do it because we love them, and we want them to feel loved. We want them to experience fun things, and we spend a lot of time and preparation in making their holidays memorable and, and, um, and special to them. Although recently we have uh, put a lot less focus on material gifts or like over, overdone birthday parties and things like that, and we've started investing more of our time and uh, efforts into events or going places um, just to make some more memorable experiences for them, 
some special memories. Um, but the toys do still come in, of course, from family or friends or the occasional reward that, that we give them. And I can tell you, when we invest our time and our money into going somewhere, and they spend the majority of the time fighting or, or arguing or complaining, or when Alex goes into the girl's room to straighten it up and the, the toys that we buy them or that they get are missing pieces or broken or just scattered around the room, it makes me not want to ever do anything for them ever again. Um, I know I can be a little bit drastic in the moment and then I have to repent of my selfish pride, but we are here to talk about how ungrateful my kids are, not me. So, um, But isn't it amazing that God does not take the same selfish and spiteful attitude toward us when we lack gratitude for what he has given to us. That in and of itself is something we ought to be so, so grateful for. So now as we approach this holiday of Thanksgiving, the world around us is going to be focusing on material things that they have to be grateful for. And some most likely will be focused on more noble things such as relationships with friends or family. And all of those are great things um, to be grateful for, to be thankful for, and we ought to be grateful for those things as well. Uh, but as Christians, what else do we have to be thankful for? Who are we thanking for such things? And are we going to go into this week thankful for temporal things, or are we going to be focused on the eternal? And how are we showing that gratitude? So let's look at a passage that calls us to worship and be thankful and also shows us why we ought to. Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And before I read it, I just want to comment that I found the structure of this psalm uh, really interesting, uh, mostly because it laid itself out into an outline um, really, really nicely. Um, and my lack of um, experience in sermon prep, I became really grateful for this. So that could just be me. But if you look at it with me, verses 1 and 2 is a call to worship, followed in verse 3 by the reason why we worship. Then verse 4 is a call for thanksgiving, followed by verse 5 with the reason for thanksgiving. So, Psalm 100, verse 1. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Oh, I think I skipped. Sorry about that. Bless his name. There we go. Verse five. Sorry. For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness throughout, through all generations. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today with humility and gratitude. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you together. And we pray that it's pleasing to you. Lord, I pray by your spirit that ears would be opened and our hearts would be softened. I pray that no one would leave this place unchanged. Lord, I pray that, that my flesh, that myself, would, would not get in, in the way or interfere with the preaching of your word. And I ask that we can all go into this week of Thanksgiving with the right perspective of, of what Thanksgiving is. Um, 
as Christians, what we have to be thankful for. Um, we thank you, of course, for all of our material blessings and our relationships and our friends and family. But let's not let that be our primary focus. Instead, let our eyes be fixed on your son and the grace that made it possible for us to be called your children. We pray this by the power of the Spirit in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, at the beginning, we see the psalmist call on only Israel to shout triumphantly to the Lord. No, no, we don't see that. So we see him call on only the church. No, we don't see that either. We see him call on the whole earth to shout joyfully and acknowledge and worship the Lord. Now, obviously, we don't see that actually happening throughout the whole earth today. And why is that? Romans 1, 18 and 19 for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. So even though God has clearly shown what can be known about his existence, the rest of the world chooses to suppress that truth in their own unrighteousness and sin and instead chooses to worship false gods, uh, man-made idols, and most of the time, really just themselves. But God calls us to worship him and him alone. Which brings me to the first point of the outline, a call to worship. We are to worship the Lord individually. We're to worship in our family settings, as well as corporately when we gather together on the Lord's day, such as today. So what is worship? When we think of service on Sunday, what part of the service is actually worship? Is it just the songs that we sang at the beginning? Or maybe the, so the songs and the scripture reading? Or is it just the preaching? Or, hear me out, is it every moment that we're gathered together? Our corporate worship starts as soon as we walk through the doors. The conversations we have before and after service, the times of prayer we spend together praying for the service, for each other, for the, our friends or family that weren't able to make it, for our missionaries, and of course, it's all the main parts of the service as well. But is Sunday the only day that we are called to worship God? I could confidently say that the majority of our conversations on Sunday are God-honoring and edifying to one another, but let's step outside of Sunday for a second. Let's take a look at the rest of the week. What do the rest of our conversations look like on a daily basis? Could we classify all of those conversations as worship? What about our actions? Our actions outside of Sunday. Could we say everything we do outside of service on Sunday is worship? I know this seems like a tall order, um, and we all fall short of this um, daily. Uh, but and, I, and I'm not trying to beat anybody up here. But why does everything we do or say need to be glorifying to God? Well, it's because that is what we were made for. That is our primary purpose. The first question of Spurgeon's catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So what does this mean practically for us? How do we make sure that whatever we are doing, we are doing it to the glory of God? 
Let's start by getting a working definition of what worship is. Worship is coming before God and ascribing to him the glory due his name, approaching him with humility, declaring his greatness, and expressing thankfulness for his many blessings. Worship is what we do when we recognize God for his attributes and expressing gratitude through adoration, praise, thanksgiving, through service, and living holy lives. Worship is not only something that God desires from us, though he does, it is something that he commands from us in Scripture. 1 Chronicles 16.29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. John 4.23, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. And Romans 12.1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So how do we do it? How do we worship? Verse 1 says to shout triumphantly to the Lord. When we are truly grateful for what the Lord has done for us, we express it with triumphant shouts of praise. Many of you know the life the Lord delivered me out of through quite the process in many, many years of uh, pain and misery. And part of that process was spending some time in Team Challenge in Phoenix. One of the things that I really love and miss about that place is watching all of the guys come in from all different walks of life, from um, all different places around the country, around the state, and most of them come in with little to no knowledge of God at all. But I, I get to watch, or I got to watch, uh, the Lord really set these men free, and, and myself included in that, from the bondage of sin and the idolatry of drugs. And when they feel that or, or um, experience that being set free, they are in the front of the sanctuary and they are shouting joyfully to the Lord. They are shouting triumphantly for what the Lord has done in their lives. And it really, really is a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. Um, I, re I recently went back there to visit um, Alex and I and the kids and we, we sat in on a worship service. I still have some, some friends there that are on staff. We sat in a worship service with them and I intentionally sat in the very back row so I could just watch that during, during the worship time and watching the guys up front um, praising and shouting joyfully. It really, really was amazing. Um, in here, we have our preferred seating, what sometimes feels like self-assigned seating. I'm, I'm always right, right there, and I've had to kick people out before. And No, I'm just kidding, I haven't. Um, but <laughs> I would kind of sit in the, in the second row and just kind of grumble under my breath, but no. Um, but what, what you guys probably don't realize is Sabine actually has the, the best seat in the entire house. Um, when she's out, I really enjoy filling in for her because I get to sit back there and watch all of you guys standing and singing together. It's really an amazing, amazing thing to watch. So yes, triumphant, uh, triumphant shouts are one way we worship. And I know this may be a little awkward for us to think about as conservative Baptists. Um, so how else can we worship? We can worship, in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. 
We serve the Lord with our worship. And we, and our worship is serving the Lord. What we do in service to the Lord, not necessarily in, in service, but act as acts of service to the Lord. Um, when the, when the security guys are going around and checking the doors, when they are ensuring the safety of all of us, they are worshiping the Lord. When the volunteers are leading the kids in children's church or in the nursery, they are worshiping the Lord. When the deaconesses are preparing communion or helping decorate the, the basement for potlucks or the sanctuary for different events or holidays, they are worshiping the Lord. And when the beautiful cleaning lady is cleaning up after all of us, she is worshiping the Lord. Okay, so I might have a little bit of a bias towards the cleaning lady if you guys haven't yet gathered that. So anyways, so. Um, but anyways, let's take a little bit closer look at the end of the first half of that verse. Serve the Lord with, what does that say? With gladness, that's what it says. We serve the Lord with gladness. And this is the most important part of how we serve the Lord. If we are doing this out of obligation rather than sacrificial service, we are if we are taking out the trash and grumbling and complaining while we do it, if we are only volunteering because it feels like that's what we are expected to do or that's, that we're obligated to do that, um, if we are doing it for recognition or to elevate ourselves or to get a better position, we have taken what should be sacrificial service and worship and we've turned it into something detestable to the Lord. The condition of our heart is what dictates something as worship. This isn't only true for acts of service either. If we are singing the hymns at the beginning of service or at the end uh, just for the sake of singing along, if we are just going through the motions, and not really paying attention to the words we are singing, if we are not making those lyrics our own song to the Lord, then we, that is not truly worship. Now, since I'm on the subject of singing, singing, of course, is another way we worship. And it's probably the first one that comes to your mind when I ask you, what is worship? What kind of songs are worship? Is it worship just because it's on the Christian radio station? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I would say that worship music needs to be theologically rich, doctrinally sound, and most importantly, Christocentric, Christ-centered. So let's just be honest, a large percentage of the Christian music um, that's out there today, that's on the radio, is man-centered. It's focused on what we did to come to Christ, therefore making it both man-centered and theologically bankrupt. All we did to come to Christ was sin, and I can assure you that those songs are not focused on our sin. So instead, we need to sing songs that elevate God and praise Him for the work He did in drawing us to Him. Now it is right and it's good to sing along to these theologically rich songs when we are by ourselves in our cars, uh, when we're doing some work and we have our headphones in to be singing these songs um, by ourselves. But as worshipers, we are to regularly come before the Lord in corporate gatherings to proclaim his goodness and praise his name. When we sing these songs gathered as a congregation, when his body is united together singing songs of praise, ascribing to him the glory due his name, that is truly a pleasing aroma that God desires. And this is something that we as believers need to partake in regularly. It's also a good argument for the not forsaking to gather together on Sunday. 
kind of hard to partake in congregational singing when you're not amongst the congregation, but that is a, another sermon altogether. So, why do we worship? Let's look at verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Uh, other translations say, know that Yahweh, and what truth is that? That the Lord is God. We must know with the deepest level of conviction that Yahweh is the one true and living God. What else must we be completely assured of? The second half of verse 3, that he made us, that we are his people, that we are the sheep of his pasture, which means he is our shepherd. In biblical times, the shepherd's primary responsibility was the... Um, the, the concern, the, the welfare of their flock, providing them with food and water, guarding them from predators, and also correcting them when they wandered off. And this is exactly what we have in, in our Lord. This is what we have in the Good Shepherd. What a joy and rest we have when we truly acknowledge that truth. Moving on to the, the second point of the, the outline here. Our call to give thanks. Verse 4 starts, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Now during the Old Covenant times, the manifest presence of God was restricted both geographically and spatially to the temple. One would have to come into God's presence. But today, each of us individually as Christians and as well as the corporate body, we are the temple of God. We are always in God's presence because God's presence is always in us by his spirit. Now, this is something we ought to be, um, be thanking him for. And thanking the Lord is not merely just a verbal acknowledgement, though it certainly is part of it. But more so, giving thanks is an action. This text portrays the idea of a thanksgiving offering, something that we do. Thanksgiving is the response our loving God expects from his people. It involves action. So what does this action look like today? We're not going to be um, giving the same thanksgiving offering in order to get into his presence. Um, so let's, let's think about it practically. If someone does something for us that we are genuinely grateful for, instead of just saying thank you and moving on, we would declare their name to others by sharing their kindness. We would be, um, for lack of a better word, kind of bragging on them, showing people what they did for us and showing how grateful we are for that. If we get great service at a restaurant or a store of some kind, we are going to spread that word to others so they can go experience that same great service so that business can prosper by the word of mouth um, and the, the experience that they gave us. We'd even go on Google and give them a five-star review. I know when I'm looking to purchase something on Amazon, which is hardly ever, I don't, <laughs> just kidding. I'm like the Amazon guy at our house. So, But when I'm going to, to look for something on Amazon, I type in what I want and 50 million different options pop up. I don't, I don't just pick on the first one. Um, just because it says Amazon's choice doesn't make it my choice. So I look for the one with the most reviews and the most, um, the most stars. I scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, and I, I want to see what people had to say about it. Why was this thing so great? I want to know if it was great, of course. 
um, what the customer service was like. This should also be true for our experience with God. If we are truly thankful for what the Lord has done, we should be proclaiming his name, his generosity, his kindness, his faithfulness, and his love to others. This level of heartfelt and joyful gratitude also has a very practical power to kill sin. When we are worshiping God with joyful gratitude, it protects us from acting on a basis that we are owed something from God. It protects us from selfish pride. It protects us from living in such a way that we are the ones responsible for anything good that has happened to us or by taking credit for something that we've accomplished. Instead, it puts the, the focus solely on God, whom all glory and gratitude rightly belong. This heartfelt joy and gratitude comes from a heart of humility, because gratitude gives all the glory to God alone. It takes our focus off of ourselves and turns our eyes to our Savior. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect, perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we thank God for every blessing we receive, but are we thanking him for his protection and for our preservation? The preservation thing is a little harder to think about on a regular basis because it's not directly before our face in the same way as other blessings might be. We don't have as obvious of a reminder of what the Lord has preserved us from. Um, but I, I have a book uh, compi of compiled sermon illustrations from Charles Spurgeon. And in there was an illustration for thankfulness, for preservation. And I'm going to read that to you guys real quick. So, quote, you have heard, perhaps, of a Puritan who met his son, each one of them traveling some 10 or 12 miles to meet the other. The son said to his father, Father, I am thankful to God for, every, for a very remarkable providence that I have had on my journey here. My horse has stumbled three times with me, and yet I am unhurt. The Puritan replied, My dear son, I have to thank God for an equally remarkable providence on my way to you. For my horse did not once stumble all the way. If we happen to be in an accident by railway, we feel so grateful that our limbs are not broken. But should we not be thankful when there is no accident? Is not that the better thing of the two? If you were to fall into poverty and someone were to restore you to your former position in trade, you would be very grateful. Should you not be grateful that you have not fallen into poverty? Bless God for his unknown benefits. Extol him for his favors that you do not see always giving thanks to God for all things, end quote. So when we are expressing our gratitude for, for our great and many blessings, let us not forget or neglect to thank God for the preservation that we experience every moment of every day. So that is our, our call to thanksgiving, but what's the cause? Verse 5, the cause for our thanksgiving um, is the Lord is good. He is the source and perfect example of goodness. He is full of generosity. Psalm 25, 7, uh, 7 and 8. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion. 
In keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. His faithful love endures forever. This has got to be one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible. I don't have an exact number on how many times it's repeated. Uh, but in the Psalms alone, it's definitely one of the most. Uh, Psalm 136, it's repeated 26 times, literally in every verse. So I take away from that that God wants us to know that he is faithful and that his love endures forever. So he is faithful. What does he mean when he says he is faithful? We hear this all the time, so often um, that, that we almost take it for granted, maybe. We start to lose sight of what it actually means to us practically. It means that his promises are trustworthy. He always does what he says, and he always keeps the promises he made in his word. When we think of our most faithful friends and family, the most trusted and dependable ones, the ones that we know won't ever let us down. While, they may, see, while they, they may mean well, the fact of the matter is they are able and probably will let us down at some point. But with God, it's not really a matter of he won't deny himself. It's a matter of he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And that, of course, is a promise that he's made to us in Scripture. And the promises he makes, he cannot break. So that is the faithful part. But now, what about his love? His love endures forever. His love is without end. This is pretty difficult and perhaps um, even impossible for us to fully grasp which is probably why we have such a hard time expressing continuous gratitude for his enduring love. Our love for our spouse or our children is probably the closest example we experience on a day-to-day -day basis in our, in our daily lives, but even that falls drastically short. I think of an example that I just had a couple days ago. We were doing, um, for those of you guys that don't know, we were in Colorado this last week. We got back pretty late last night. Uh, Friday, we thought it'd be a great idea to do our Christmas family pictures for our Christmas cards in Colorado. We're there, we have all this beautiful snow, these mountains, these trees, this beautiful Christmas backdrops that we are really sadly deprived of in the middle of the desert. So we were going to capitalize on that. We got all our matching outfits. We got these girls had these matching dresses, different colors. Alex, her beautiful dress. I had like this nice flannel button-up shirt that kind of tied everybody's outfits together. We really thought this thing through, and Friday came, and we were all so excited. The girls were asking all week, when do we get to do our dresses? When do we get to do our pictures? Friday, we were all so excited about it in the hotel. When we get to the park where the pictures were going to be, the girls step out, and snow instantly fills their boots, and Rainy has a nuclear meltdown. I'm talking like Chernobyl-sized disaster. Tears running down, frowny face. She's refusing to take off her winter jacket. And don't judge me because, yes, I made my little girls take their winter coats off for pictures in the middle of winter. It was just bad judgment on my part. But, yeah, so she's refusing to take these, this jacket off, and it's going to unmatch our whole outfits, and it's really going to destroy the, the flow that we have for our pictures. So I, I kick them both out of the pictures, and Alex and I do our own pictures together, and we're going to do our Christmas cards without our family, without our kids. 
And then I talk her down and kind of get her to stop crying. And we finally get like one picture that's probably okay. We haven't seen him yet. But if you guys get your Christmas cards and you got little teary face girl that don't, that's, this is why. But anyways, in that moment, my love completely failed. I got angry with how she was acting, how terrible her attitude was, how terrible our pictures were going to look with her little tears and frown. And, and at any other time, her little cute, frowny, cry face is really cute, but it just doesn't belong on my Christmas pictures. <laughs> um, anyway, so in that moment, my desires were put before hers. And what I wanted was the most important thing to me. I did not take the time to consider how cold she actually was, or the fact that she was getting over this vacation-destroying cold that plagued our family the day we left for Colorado. So all my whole family, we were, they were sick the whole week. I was the only one that kind of skated through without any of the symptoms. Um, so there was a lack of compassion through all that on my part as well. But when we think of God and God's faithful and enduring love, this is not the kind of example that we have. We get to look at the cross and we see the sacrificial love he has for his children. The love that would have him give up his one and only son, that his elect can be reconciled to him through the perfect and holy sacrifice. And that is the cause for our thankfulness. So in conclusion, and as we head into this week of thanksgiving, let us not merely focus on the temporal and the material things that we have. For we have a God that is worthy of our worship and our thanksgiving. And he is worthy because he made us and we are his people. He is our shepherd and we are his pasture. He is good. He is faithful and his love endures forever. This week, let us not express our gratitude in words only, but let our worship and thanksgiving be done in sacrificial service to the Lord and his children. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for everything that you are doing in and through us. And we ask that as we go out from this place today, our eyes would be fixed on you this week, that you would be the focus of our worship. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us as we gather together with friends and family, that we could be witnesses for you to the ones that, that, we, meet, that we meet this week that don't know you. I pray for each one of us who have, uh, to have an enjoyable and safe holiday season. Lord, I pray for anybody traveling out of town, that they would have safe travels, and that, that we could all... Um, meet here again next week and gather together for the Advent series. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.